The following podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Men are supposed to be stoic, quiet, strong. Nothing's supposed to get to us. From a young age, we're all told that you have to be tough, like Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan or Yao Ming or General Cao or Confucius. When you're a real man, you can't hold hands or cry. You can't read books about anything except monster trucks. And if you wear a hat that doesn't have horns or spikes, everyone will laugh at you until you fly away. You're not supposed to cry. Not supposed to laugh. Just keep it all bottled up. In what sense is our society male-dominated? Uh, the fact that the vast majority of wealth is owned by men, the vast majority of capital and is owned by men. Women do more unpaid labor. It's a very, very tiny proportion of men and a huge proportion of people who are seriously disaffected are men. Most people in prison are men. Most people who are on the street are men. Most victims of violent crime are men. Most people who commit suicide are men. Most people who die in wars are men. People who do worse in school are men. It's like, where's the dominance here precisely? If you asked most men throughout history and around the world for a list of qualities that they'd associate with masculinity, the vast majority of them would agree that a man should be strong, courageous, competent, and honorable. Those are what I call the four tactical virtues, strength, courage, mastery, and honor. They are the qualities that men would want from each other, that they would need from each other. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Walt McFadden. Pastor, while we're talking about the woundedness in men's hearts, and I saw this on the internet the other day, a guy that's getting married, and he all of a sudden thought, okay, who's my best man going to be? And he looked and looked and looked and processed, and guess what? He couldn't find any friends that could be a best man at his wedding. And all of a sudden he realized, wow, I just don't have any male friends. And that is kind of what has happened in society as a whole, right? Yeah, and men don't know how to be friends. They know how to talk about the ball game or fishing, and that's been since the beginning of time. But men don't know how to go deep with their friends or have friends, and they don't know how to go deep with their woman. And then the woman gets frustrated, and I see a lot of this happening. The most painful thing I watch is going to a restaurant, and you see a young guy, and he's got his face in his phone, and the girl is sitting there, and she glances up at him every once in a while because she's looking up at her phone, and she's dying for some form of communication, some sign of life from him, and she just doesn't see it. And that's uh, probably another societal factor or contributor to why men don't have friends. They just don't know how to engage other people. There are ways to do that. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit in the podcast today. I, I would love to do that. A lot of times, I think people just excuse it. Well, he's just being a man, you know, and he's in his newspaper or in his phone or whatever he's into. But it's really hard to engage guys outside of sports and maybe sometimes politics, but never do they talk about how they're feeling or how they uh, have processed certain things. They just don't do it. Have you thought of why that is? I can think back to when I was young, and I can think about the older guys in the church, and they would sit around and tell stories, and I was fascinated by that. Mm -hmm. I can remember one older gentleman in the church growing up. We called him Grandpa Gossett. He would tell me stories about when he was a kid, 
and I was riveted by that stuff. And it sounded like paradise. Mm-hmm. But I learned how to talk like a man. What do men talk about? How do they interact with one another? And I would see that with my father. He would have me by his side, particularly at church. I can remember those watch night services at on New Year's Eve at the church. And the older men would sit around, and then the older women would sit around. Then the pastor would come at the end and give some kind of a talk, and we'd have some time of prayer. But that time of sitting around with the guys, I wasn't bored at all. I was fascinated by that. And where does a young guy get that today? Where does he have that point of interaction? If he's with another guy, they're not engaging in conversation. They haven't seen men engaging in conversation. So his default now is his phone or his television or his computer. I hear stories of guys who spend all day, every day on their computer because it's their job. I even, we even had a young man in our church for a couple of years. His job was playing video games. It sounds like every young man's dream job, right? <laughs> wow. But he'd get overtime. Mm. He'd get, he'd, so he's on the computer 10 to 12 hours a day just playing video games. What does that do to your brain? And then when you're done, the thing is you don't want to have interaction with other people in conversation because your brain's worn out. Right, right. Well, there is some truth to that, I think. Look at COVID and what happened there when we were isolated from people. It has taken some time for people to get back into some sort of a social relationship again. And it's Yeah, they awkward. don't know how to drive anymore either. Well, that, Isn't that amazing? That everybody that forgot true. how to drive. So do you think that culture in general then messes with men or manhood? If we're not practicing manhood like you just suggested in the old days when you were a boy. I mean, how are men supposed to relate to one another if it's not modeled? I mean, does culture contribute to that? Oh, absolutely. And when the male is struggling, that's the end of the culture. When the male is not taking his proper role, we can see it historically. I'll never forget the story of when Europeans showed up in China and they found that all of the women and the children were unkempt, uncared for, starving, and all the men were laying in tents having sex with one another. Mm. Homosexuality had completely taken over the culture. One of the things we don't realize about China is that they went through this period in history where they built these walls, right? The Great Wall of China. And they were gonna keep everybody out. Mm -hmm. They were gonna keep all diseases. And what happened was they regressed as a society. And evidently, this is one of the consequences of this regression of society. You could see it in Greek culture. You can see it in Roman culture. What happens is the men get lazy. They don't do what they're supposed to be doing. They're not present and accountable and uh, ready for war. And that's part of uh, the readiness of man. It's just that idea of protection of your society, having a role, having a woman in your life, a family in your life, and you're always ready to protect. That's just one example. The other is work. Men aren't working. They're not fulfilling their role, taking care and providing for their family. And another reason, which is near and dear to my heart, is men don't go to church. And church is a place where we learn morals and we learn values and we are able to have those mentoring relationships with older men. And we get a little bit of responsibility. Somebody said to me many years ago that they couldn't think of a better place than a church for young people to learn life skills. And we have a lot of young men that are involved in our church in various ways, taking the offering, working in the sound booth, leading in the youth group, those kinds of things. There has to be a place for men. 
it is cultural because we are allowing men to abdicate their responsibility. And I see the beginning of this in, in my lifetime with the great society, the whole war on poverty, where we drove the fathers out of the houses and we let women sit on welfare. And that happened all across all cultures. Mm-hmm. If you think about the Appalachian region, I can remember seeing the pictures of Lyndon Johnson going to the Appalachian region, sitting around with poor whites and saying, I'm going to wage war on poverty. He institutionalized poverty. He, mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't wage war on anything because the fathers left, and those people are still as poor as they have ever been today. And it, that's something interesting about that culture. That's the culture that my father came from, the, this ancestry. There's something within that culture which dates back to the whole Scots-Irish in Ireland. They, they come over and they went into the Appalachian region. But for centuries, that society had sort of this idea that the man, he's free to roam. He could share women, didn't know who his kids were. That was my grandfather. Maybe a myth, maybe it was a reality that my grandfather had kids all over the mountain there. That culture is an example of what happens when a, in a culture when men don't really properly find their role. The women suffer, there's poverty, the kids kind of run wild. And today that whole area is still full of drugs and alcoholism and poverty. You, If you look at it, it goes back to the men. Well, I do know that men have more of the problems in society than women, and the penal institution illustrates that. 93% of those in prison today are males, which leaves only 7% of females. Now, I know females are becoming more like men, and <laughs> More crime is being committed by them, but it still says to me that that they're lost. So let me press that question a little bit further about culture affecting males. I think the statistic is somewhere around upper 50s of the males being parented by females. So if you have 50% of your homes being parented by females, males are growing up with a, with a different sort of agenda, perspective, and maybe that lends itself to the 93% incarceration rate. Is that something that we should look at as well? Well, society would say it's because of toxic masculinity, and their answer is don't let men be men. Suppress that, keep that down. Let them learn to be more effeminate. And yet that hasn't solved the problem. We've mm-hmm. been doing this since the 60s. We've been trying to say, well, this is men are the problem. Men are the problem because how they're raised. It is cultural. And this, this cultural swing, now we have less men working. We have less men graduating from high school. We have less men graduating from college. In some cases, we have colleges that are graduating. 75% of their graduates are women. So men are the ones who are really struggling, but we never seem to get it right. Behind all of this, if I can kind of jump the fence here, it's satanic. It's satanic and it's been since the beginning. God puts certain structures in place. He put the family structure and he did that by by design. Every family needs a father. Every family needs a mother. So you have the protector, you have the nurturer, if I can simplify their roles. And you take that protector out of there and you have nothing. And you just have a man who's without direction. He is in many cases angry. We're talking about in the overall theme, woundedness. He's trying to prove himself as a man because that is his instinct. And so he's gonna do it in the wrong way. He's gonna hang out with other young men who are wounded, who are trying to prove themselves. And then there's no 
system of checks and balances in that young man's life. He's just kind of free to roam, just like I was talking about in cultures historically. We use terms in our culture right now that don't make one bit of sense at all. Like Black Lives Matter says they are about the destruction of the nuclear Western family. Mm. Well, show me any place in the world mm -hmm. where there isn't the nuclear family. It is humankind. If I went to a remote island in Indonesia or if I went to a remote rural area in Africa, I would find a nuclear family. It's how the world is designed. And we're arrogant and prideful enough in this culture to think about destroying masculinity. Mm -hmm. God created masculinity. I don't think anything is toxic about masculinity when it's in the design of God. Well, we know, and you're an inner city pastor, if, if we can use that term. Everything's urban these days, so I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It used to be urban, suburban, but now it's all one big jungle. But young men are killing each other. You know, and we see it every night on the news. It seems to me that if you talk about toxicity, it's about the family structure that's been destroyed. That's what's toxic. It's not guns. And it seems to me that our government officials, we see this constantly in legislative bodies, that they want to do more legislation against guns. But if they would spend the time to think about the family it's these young boys that are shooting each other and shooting other people. It's because of their woundedness. I'm positive, Pastor Walt, that that's one of the reasons they're so angry. What would you say about that as a pastor? Well, for society to do what's right, they would have to admit that their sexual mores are incorrect. They would have to admit the Bible is right and that God's structure is better. And they're just not going to do that because they're, they're blinded by the God of this age. They're living in futility. And it's redundant now to say it, but we can't even define what a woman is. <laughs> You're right. So if we can't define what a woman is, mm -hmm. we can't define what a man is. Mm -hmm. You can't run a society like this. You can't run a society where there's debate in Congress mm -hmm. about who can get pregnant, who can menstruate. That's, this is, this is the, the overall problem, and now it's just magnified. This has been the problem for a long time, ever since I started working with youth, is we don't have the icon. We don't have the perfect image. Mm -hmm. We don't have what, it, what is a man. We don't tell young man what a man is. So he's sort of left to fend for himself, and he's left to figure it out on his own. I was just watching this old... James Dean movie, right? Okay, Rebel sure. without a cause. Oh, yeah. And what is the root problem with that guy? It's his father. And he's looking at his father in disdain and disgust because, and he even says at one point in the movie, everything would be okay if my father would just stand up to my mother and just bop her one. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine talking like that in the culture today? <laughs> no. But the guy is, he's walking around with a bib in the house and he's waiting on his wife hand and foot. Maybe the problem precedes our lifetime mm -hmm. because that's a movie from the 50s with James Dean. But the culture is doing everything in their power to destroy masculinity. And Satan is behind it. And he's been behind it since the creation of mankind to undermine God's structure of authority. 
Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, but let's talk a little bit about solutions. We talked about the problem, and that's always good to identify what we're talking about. But there's also a solution to the problem. And, and I know as a pastor of a church, you have been working for a long time with young men, and you're helping young men to know their role and who they are. So tell me about the church. Tell me what you see the church as the solution to this male woundedness. How does it work? Well, there's a lot of things. I, I don't want to speak programmically, but there maybe it's part of it is programs. Something that changed in our church was, you know, our assistant pastor, he was over men's ministry. And as we were talking about our different roles, I, you know, I really have the passion for this. I want this back. And I took back the men's ministry. He had other things that needed to get done in the church. And I'm reinvested again in developing young men and Really, the, the method is, Jesus gave us the method. The method is discipleship. Young men need someone to follow. If there's not a person in their life to follow, they're aimless. They're drifting. Well, you're right. So how are you getting people to follow you, these young men? There's got to be something in you, either in your personality or in what you teach and how you present yourself. What's drawing them? And then give us some sort of a, a foundation. Maybe it is a program, but give us some methods by which you're using to make these men aware, these young boys, I guess, young men aware that they have to make some changes. I reach out. I pursue. I pursue aggressively and I give them attention now there are some that don't want it I have to weed them out or I have to put them to the side to say I'm here whenever you want sometimes they're not ready for that mm -hmm. because they're wounded right mm -hmm. if they're not ready to deal with their wounds I can't help them because eventually what they're gonna do is they're gonna lash out at me but for those who are ready there are men all over young men all over there starving for attention about 10 years ago, we went on a missions trip, and my older son, he put together a little skate park, and we were over in the Appalachian region, and these kids gravitated toward him, and all they ever did all day long was, where's Derek, where's Derek, where's Derek, where's, you know, my son. And it just reminded me, again, if, if a man just shows a little bit of attention, maybe that's part of the reason why young men become angry, because he, he doesn't have this male figure in his life but he probably has a woman. And the woman is the main disciplinarian still as he goes into his teens. And there's a certain resentment within him. That's probably something that's natural. I resent this because I'm a man and this is a woman. And she's telling me all the things that I'm doing wrong. And sometimes she's telling him he's doing things wrong and he's not, he's just being a boy. He's just trying to be a man. He's trying to find himself. And you don't have a father to direct that. The answer is to find the young men. Then what happens from there that I'm seeing is those young men will become magnets for other young men, even younger men. You really have to try to reach them when they're in their elementary and especially the junior high. I'm told that the average African-American male checks out of school at age 13. So before he even goes into high school, he says to himself, this is not for me. Of course he's failing. And if he doesn't have a father in his life to instill some discipline in him, and the mother is not designed for that, her voice is higher, she doesn't have muscles, she doesn't have the kind of things, the answer is pursue men. I don't know how to say it any other way. Pursue men and provide an environment for those young men to thrive. Growing up as a kid, got together with all the neighbor kids, and went out, we played for hours, and 
people are mortified to hear this, but we played with guns. That was probably half the time. Sure. Playing guns. Yeah, rubber guns too, where we shoot rubber bands at each other. Yeah, and it was pretend. And <laughs> yeah. we never even thought about going into a mall and shooting mm -hmm. anybody up. Right. So here's another one. We gotta be bold. We have to be willing to take the heat. And I don't, ha I don't get heat from men when I talk to them about their issues, at least not in my environment. Whenever I talk to men about being a man, it's usually received pretty well, pretty openly. Okay, so you know, you're pursuing them with a zest. You've got their attention. Now, what do you say to them? How do you break that exterior that so oftentimes you know, has their hand out? How do you get beyond that? What do you say? As opposed to a woman where you have to ease in to tough conversations. Why had a young man come to me one time and we were trying to do this devotional and all of a sudden he just broke down and just started bawling his eyes out. And he started talking about how he was touching himself. This is eating him alive. Mm -hmm. So I wanna, I wanna get to those issues of pornography. I wanna get to those issues of sexuality. I wanna talk about those things. I wanna hit him with a sucker punch. <laughs> I, want, I want to come out of well, left Give me an example. What, what's a sucker punch to Pastor Walt McFadden? Oh, so you're dating that girl. Are you keeping your hands off of her? Ooh. And then I will tell them about my experience. Who's struggling with pornography in this room? No hands go up, right? And I say, um, you know, I'm a pastor and I get tempted mm. to look at that thing. Ooh, really? Yeah. You want to you show yourself to be human. You want to show yourself to be real. A lot of churches think about the whole setting you have just a couple of men and you got a lot of women. And what is this man doing? He's preaching soft things. He's not preaching provocatively. I've had plenty of women mad at me for the things that I would say from the pulpit. I've had a, I've had a number of them. I've had far more thank me for the things that I have to say mm -hmm. because they see the immediate effect on their husband's life when sure. they realize, oh, this is what I'm yeah. supposed to do. But I just want to be down there with those guys. As long as my health holds up, sure. I don't want to kick them down to the basement with the youth pastor. And we have a great youth pastor, and he's one of my disciples. But I want to be in those young men's lives mm -hmm. yep. because I have experience, I have knowledge, I have wisdom. And I get an earful. they got a lot of questions to ask. Well, I don't think you can ever soft-pedal truth. Truth is very hard sometimes. And I know that we're running out of time for our conversation today. And I know City View Church, where you are the senior pastor, the lead pastor, you have small groups for men. And this is what you're trying to do with men. So if someone's listening and they want to check out a church that has a sort of a male perspective to some degree, and that's not all male, of course, but there is a part of it that you understand there's a need for male discipleship and they can come. Tell us about what you're doing to help men, young men, old men, whatever. If you're a man, City View is going to help you. Tell us how. Well, we have what we call life on life groups and that term is used in a lot of churches now, but we have men with men, women with women. And when we started that, all of our small groups disbanded. Naturally, people gravitated toward, I want to be with an older man or I want to be with an older woman to, to mentor me. And so they're same sex. Now we are starting to introduce some young married groups and so forth, but we actually have a structure built where there's a place where a young man is going to get a mentor. And we start them in high school. We were resistant to that. 
we we thought maybe they're too immature but now we realize no they need to be in this setting beginning in high school to get them early so we start in freshman in high school, start to bring them into the, that kind of environment. Our website is cvcmpls.org. There's information on our website about Life on Life groups, and you can go and check it out there. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Walt McFadden. Our culture is confused, and that confusion is spilling over into everything today. God is never confused, and those who know Him and obey Him are never confused. Confusion is a cause of not knowing the truth, but here on this program, we untangle our culture's confusion with the truth. Thanks for listening. Our main problem is not looking at Christ, or looking at Christ through some filtered lens rather than the raw scripture. I want to set my sights on being like Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.